Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Guy Kawasaki, and we're going to explore how to build a following by sharing other people's content. Yes, you heard me right. Other people's content. But first, I've got an awesome discovery I want to share with you right now. After mediating a crocodile family dispute, look at what Michael Stelzner discovered. As a marketer, do you walk around with your smartphone a lot? I know the answer, of course, is yes. And if you're like me, you're probably seen holding that iPhone or Android phone wherever you go. Well, why not make a cool marketing impression with your smartphone and do what I do? If you've ever seen me, um, I have on the back of my phone the Social Media Examiner logo on a cool case. And sometimes I leave it upside down for people to see it. And other times I'm just holding it in my hands. Or other times people are taking pictures with my phone and everybody's like, wow, how'd you do that? So I thought I'd share how you can actually create a custom case for your iPhone 5, 5S, 6, 6 Plus, or Galaxy S5. So the way I discovered how to do this was with CaseMate. And the reason I discovered this is because I found myself dropping my phone all the time and I needed a robust case. And CaseMate makes these tough cases. It's got a hard exterior shell and then it's got a um, kind of a plastic inner shell that slightly bumps around the edge of the phone so that if you drop the phone, it's not going to crack the glass. Well, I discovered a couple of years ago that they have a do-it-yourself uh, case and it's so easy, you, bas- you basically just go to custom.case-mate.com, custom.case-mate.com, and if, don't worry if you forget it. But what's cool is you select your phone, and then you're brought up to this cool little do-it-yourself interface, and you can, you've got different themes. For example, you can just have one image wrap around the entire phone, which is what I've done. You can create kind of a photo booth theme where you've got multiple pictures. You, they've got all these different layouts. But the bottom line is you just simply upload a graphic or a picture from your computer or online, uh, position it the way you want on the phone, and literally they'll show you what the phone's going to look like, and then you can buy it. And it's between 40 to $50 uh, for my iPhone 5S, it was $45 for the tough case. And uh, it lasts for quite a long time and it looks absolutely gorgeous and it will make you stand out because, you know, us marketers, we're always looking for ways to stand out. So check it out at custom.case-mate.com. And I'm sure there's other providers out there that do custom cases, but I've had really good success 
over the years with Casemate. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. With that, let's transition over to today's interview with Guy Kawasaki. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Guy Kawasaki. If you don't know who Guy is, he's the author of the book Enchantment and the Chief Evangelist at Canva. His newest book is called The Art of Social Media, Power Tips for Power Users. Guy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on your show. So hey, let's let's um let's go back in time a little bit here and talk about your journey into social media. Where did it all start for you? Well, it depends on how you define define social media. I was I you know, I was using CompuServe. Are you old enough to know what CompuServe is? Of course, is? yeah. <laughs> Well, because not everybody is. So CompuServe had these wonderful forums, right? It was public messaging back and forth. You could make the case that that was social media. And that was dial-up modem days, right? Uh, if you were lucky. Yeah. <laughs> it was more smoke signals than dial-up modem. That was a long time ago, man. Well, like, somewhere along the line, you started into blogging, probably. I mean, that's where I first discovered you. You had a, you had a pretty significant blog presence. Yeah. And- I, was, I, was, you know, I was late into blogging. I started blogging about four or five years after it started. And it was at the behest of Dave Weiner from Userland Software. Hmm. So, uh, I, as as I got older, I started getting more on social media. Like I, I joined Twitter six or seven months after it started, and then you know I joined Google Plus like six days after it started. So I, I gradually, you know, got hip. So you're technically an early adopter then, because if you got that early into Twitter, I mean, tell me what it was like for you in the very beginning when you got on the Twitter. Well, at the very beginning, Mike, I thought Twitter was the most dumbass thing I ever saw. I mean, you know, you you go to the Twitter homepage and you see like tweet after tweet, my dog rolled older, my cat rolled over, the line at Starbucks is long, Southwest <laughs> Airlines sucks. And you're like, look at this. So for the longest time, I thought, well, Twitter is just the dumbest thing you could ever do. And then I finally figured out that what you should do is search for stuff. So 
if you're new to Twitter back then and you started searching for your name or searching for your competition or searching for your areas of interest, that's when Twitter got interesting. But not when it was one big homepage and it was like, you know, Lonely Boy 15 says my dog rolled over. Wow, I really wanted to know that. I didn't get Twitter at all either, to be honest (laughs) with you. When I first got started, I just didn't get it. Well, well, I got, I got to say that, you know, I think that if you didn't get Twitter the first time, it's a sign of your intelligence. Because if you thought you really got it, you were stupid. <laughs> I think you're making a lot of people feel really good right now, guys. Well, <laughs> you know, that's what an evangelist does. <laughs> so let's fast forward to where we are today, Guy. I mean, you yes. know, you've been around, obviously, since when Twitter was only like six <laughs> months old, as you said. So, you know. Talk to me about the state of where we're at with social media in your opinion today. Social media today is just God's gift in particular to entrepreneurs because it's fast and it's free and it's ubiquitous. Back in the day, uh, if you started a software company, right, you needed a few million dollars and you had to consider buying uh, an ad in the Wall Street Journal. So you wanted to be in the Thursday edition because that's when the tech reviews were. It was $75,000 a page. And and you wanted to go to Comdex and it was you know $50,000 for a 10 by 10 uh, booth without any tables or chairs in it. And so you had all these things and like all that stuff has gone away because, you know, unless you're a real idiot, it's kind of hard to spend money on social media, right? Um, Absolutely. So it's kind of been, it's kind of been a great equalizer, hasn't it? Absolutely. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, if you, if you look at history, uh, you know, the, the Dean of Influence and Persuasion is arguably Dale Carnegie. And so Dale Carnegie was around in the 1930s and his idea of a a social media would be what? Renting the New York Hilton ballroom out for 200 people. And now, fast forward to 2014, you know, you send a tweet, you post an update, you share a picture, you know, whatever it is, and you can reach millions of people instantly and free. I mean, can it get much better than this? I agree. And it really is amazing um, where it just in the last couple of years, things have gone. And it's just amazing to see all these new companies that have come up out of nowhere and disrupted, you know, a lot of traditional business. And and it, I think we're in this, in, 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 gosh, how can I say this? Age of opportunity probably yeah. is, is a good way to say it. It's the renaissance of marketing. So um, in your book, your new book, you talk a lot about the importance of having uh, a consistent image across all the different social networks and also a mantra. And this is in the very beginning of your book. So um, talk to the marketer that's listening right now about um, why it's so important to have a consistent image across all these networks and maybe some tips that you might want to provide everyone. For one very simple reason, it's important to be consistent because it's easier to be consistent. So imagine if you think you should be one type of brand on Google Plus mm-hmm. and another on Facebook and another on Pinterest and another on Twitter. Y- you would go freaking crazy. And you would also have no leverage. So now you'd have to generate four different kinds of content for four different platforms. And I, I think that that's just, it's too hard and it's too schizophrenic. 
and many people will see your multiple personalities and wonder, you know, just what you are. So let's take an extreme case. I mean, let's suppose you were Ferrari. So if you're at Ferrari, you know, you're thinking, well, on Google Plus, it's primarily male, so let's appeal to sexiness, right? And on Facebook, it's younger people, so let's appeal to, I guess, sexiness again. <laughs> and on Pinterest, you know, it's more women, so let's show what? Uh, pink Ferraris. And, you know, how do you, how do you like try to maintain multiple brand images if you're Ferrari and then oh if you're saying well uh, on, on something like uh, LinkedIn it's business people so let's position Ferrari as safety um, boy yeah that's that's a schizophrenic existence I, I think it's just to be better it would be better to be true to yourself and if you're sexiness you're sexiness if you're performance your performance and if you're Volvo your safety everywhere, and, and so be it. You, you talk about mantras too, Guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Describe what that is. Okay, so a mantra is a two- or three-word explanation for why you exist or your product exists or your service exists or your company exists. It is in direct opposition to a mission statement. Mission statements are typically 50 words long, and you paid you know, McKinsey half a million dollars to help you write it and it you know it's something along the lines of um, we exist to create leading edge patent pending uh, curve jumping paradigm shifting enterprise scalable products that <laughs> enable our employees to self-actualize their life goals while providing a meaningful path for our vendors to reach profitability while empowering our customers and killing as few dolphins as possible <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Excuse me. While while providing a meaningful return to our shareholders. <laughs> that is not a mantra, right? That's a no. Yeah. That's a that's a mission statement. You you just covered everybody, right? Right. Now, by contrast, a mantra is two or three words. So, I, I'll give you some hypothetical mantras for companies. I think the mantra for FedEx peace of mind when you absolutely positively want something someplace. Mm. Mantra for eBay democratize commerce mantra for google democratize information mantra for guy kawasaki empower people mm. uh, it's two or three words gotcha so it's different than a slogan because our slogan is your guide to the social media jungle yes well j just as nike has just do it great slogan but right. why does nike exist it exists for authentic athletic performance so once we come up with this couple word phrase what do we do with it i think you put it in that small section of your profile where you know you have one like 150 or 60 characters to explain who you are gotcha so when you look at my profile it says i empower people right that's what i want and and it says that everywhere it's not like i say i entertain people on google plus and i empower people on linkedin i empower people everywhere now in your book you talked about something called the incognito window yes. um can you talk about what that is and why we might want to yes. employ that the incognito window is a feature of almost every browser where you are looking at a page anonymously. And this is a very good test because a lot of times you, when you're signed into an account, when you're signed into a website, you get a very different experience because cookies are set and you're already past the gates and you know, you're, you're in a different place. And many people inside the company don't realize this. So they think that everybody is seeing 
the company's website in a certain way, but it's not true. It's only people who have gone past the various gates and the various sign-ins and the various logins and the various historical facts. So what you want is you want people to see your website the way a total stranger would see it who's never been to your website before. I think many, many uh, marketing people would be amazed that what they see on a day-to-day basis of their own site is not what most people see. And in particular, when it comes to your social profile, right? Because you know yeah. what you think, what you think your Twitter profile looks like, or your Google Plus or your LinkedIn may not be what the rest of the world sees. So it's almost like a mirror, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yes. It, it, it a lot, and so many of us just don't even think about this. And I've never heard of that before. I thought that was really cool. And I think in Chrome, I think you said in your book, you scroll, show a screenshot of how to get to it. Let, yeah. let, let's shift this dialogue over to um, content. Mm-hmm. You have been doing a lot with Content Guy um, over the years. And can you start by sharing what your philosophy is when it comes to content and or your strategy when okay. it comes to sharing content? Okay, so there are two key components of my entire strategy. Uh, Number one is I believe that the most important test of all of social media is what I call the reshare test. And the reshare test works like this. Are you sharing something that other people will share to their friends and followers and circlers? Mm. So to use a restaurant analogy... You can go to a restaurant, you can get an adequate meal with adequate service, and you'll tip 10% adequately, right? Almost everybody will always tip. You'd have to have a really horrendous experience not to tip, or a really fantastic experience, you might tip extra. But tipping is, in America anyway, tipping is kind of, you know, you get 10%, it's just the way it is, right? So I think that's the equivalent of sort of a plus one or a like or, you know, something like a thumbs up, right? Mm-hmm. Not bad, not great, but, you know, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm being positive here, right? Now, by contrast, if you go to a restaurant and then the next day you tell everybody you meet, you tell everybody you know, you tell your colleagues in the office, you have got to try this restaurant. It is fantastic, okay? That is much more than a tip. Now, you are going and risking your reputation. You are telling people to eat at a place because you think it's good. You risk your reputation as a person of dependable information. That's what resharing is. I am resharing something that Guy posted. I am willing to risk my reputation that what I reshared and he shared is good enough for you to see. That's the psychological test you should have. Now, just to kind of explore the underlying reason why people do this, I think part of it is because it makes them look good, right? So if yes. someone feels like the content is that great, they're yep. going to let everybody know about it, not just because they like it, but also because it helps them look good because they're revealing something of value to their audience, aren't they? Right. And and again, going back to the restaurant analogy, you know, why do you pe- tell people to eat at this great restaurant? Well, two reasons. One is you want to show that you've you know you're already eaten there right and secondly you you want this kind of this positivism right that you you're helping people find a great place to eat uh, so it really does fit into the restaurant analogy so the second component is a much a sort of higher level philosophical orientation and i call this the npr model 
NPR is a national public radio. So for me, NPR is just a stable of my information you know, consumption. I listen to NPR continuously. I believe NPR provides great content 365 days a year. A few dozen days a year, it runs the pledge drive. And, you know, between you and me, I hate the pledge drive. It's, it's disruptive. I don't want to listen to them pitching for money and all that, right? But what do I do? I tolerate the pitch drive. Sometimes I even donate money during the pitch drive. And why do I do that? It's because NPR, providing great content all year, has earned the right to promote. Mm. I feel a moral obligation to at least listen and often to donate money because they have earned this thing. They've promoted They've provided such great content. So you should think of yourself like NPR. Can you provide such great content that every once in a while you can promote your Cadbury chocolate? You can promote your Audi A3. You can promote your Nike Air Jordans. You can promote your Canva you know, design or you can promote Service. your social media marketing world conference. <laughs> or your social media market, or your book called The Art of Social Media. But you have to earn that right. Absolutely. It doesn't come given. So that's the second component of my social media content strategy. Okay, now back so, to your question. Yeah, so what I hear you saying is just to summarize this is that make sure that you're sharing the type of content that people will will be not just willing to thumb up or plus one, but would be willing to share with their audience. And um, do that often enough and you will earn the trust and respect of the audience that once in a while it's okay to sell and they won't feel really any problem with it. Is that what I hear you saying? That's what you heard me say. Okay. So now how does that, how does that apply to you in particular in your sharing strategy? I mean, like, let's get particular if you're willing. So uh, the way I share, I have, God, I. I'm sometimes I, I'm scared to tell people how I share because it makes people's heads explode. So um, <laughs> I'm wearing a helmet. First, okay, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. So well, first of all, that'll keep your brains in. Okay. Um, so first of all, I believe in sharing a lot. If you look at my all my accounts during a day, I probably share fifty to sixty stories per day. Wow. And some of those stories are repeated, exact same repeat tweets. And so what's going on here is that I view myself as a curator as opposed to a creator. My creation happens when I write books. My curation happens every day, whether I'm writing a book or not. And the way I curate is I'm constantly looking for stories, infographics, videos that I believe are either informative, analytical, assistance, or entertaining. And what I try to do is find these things that people would not have found without my efforts or would have found much later. And I just keep pushing it out. And uh, my, if you look at my social media feeds, they are very, very, let's say, diverse. I will post stuff from TEDx. I will post an analysis of the, you know, NRA gun control proposition. I will post stuff that's, you know, like a it's, man- it's stuff you're interested in, right? Yeah, it, it's stuff I'm interested in, but it's also stuff that I believe people will find interesting or entertaining or informative. And you know, just as NPR, you could be listening to 
Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, where there's extremely funny Peter Sagal and Paula Poundstone, the next moment you could be listening to Terry Gross talk about, you know, uh, physical abuse of spouses. And the next moment you could be listening to Click and Clack talking about fixing a, you know, 63 Corvette split window seat, right? Or something like that. So I'm extremely eclectic and high volume. Uh, I believe in repeating posts. I believe in just pushing content. My theory is as long as you're pushing good stuff out, people won't mind about the quantity. Uh, let's let let me comment on this just for a little bit. Um, back in episode forty four, um, yeah. uh, socialmediaexaminer.com slash forty four. For those that are listening, we interviewed um, uh, Kim Garston. She talked about how to double your your Twitter traffic with content. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that she talked about is the importance of not sharing things just once. And the different, the di- but, but many times, and, and, and this is very along the lines of what you're talking about, right? Cause so many of us feel like we can only do things one time. And in her particular case, she was pointing to content she produced in your particular case, you're, you're pointing to other people's content, but it probably really doesn't matter as long as it's all good. So nope. talk about why the rep- repetition a little bit. Well, first of all, I hope that, you know, you and, and Kim and I, for that matter, all realize that what we just said is total heresy. You realize that, right? So like most quote-unquote social media experts think that social media with the emphasis on social is about personal, intimate, one-to-one, manual, unscheduled, unassisted, kumbaya, spit-swapping, intimate contact okay <laughs> and for me okay I, I, like okay they they criticize me for using automated virtual repetitious social media i'm not being sincere i'm not being empathetic i'm not being real I'm not being transparent. Well, first of all, I don't understand any of that because there's nobody more transparent than me. I'm telling you, I'm repeating my tweets. I'm telling you, I believe that social media is a marketing platform. I am 60 years old, okay? I have four children, two dogs, one chicken, 10 fish. Wait, you have a chicken? Yeah, five guinea pigs. And one rabbit. I don't want any more friends. I don't need any more friends. Oh, and a wife, obviously. So, so this is not social for me. This is business, and people just freak out. But anyway, I'm going down. Well, this wait, wait, hold on. Board. Let me let me just comment on that a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah. I think there's room for both. Um, okay. You know, I think there's. I think it depends on your business, right? Because like in, right. in our our business, we have people asking us questions all the time, and it's part of our our mission. But at the same time, I agree with you, guy. Like one of our key business objectives here at Social Media Examiner is to drive traffic back to our right. blog, right? And that's why we do what you propose, which is we make sure some of our best stuff is repeated, not just on Twitter, but even on Facebook. And it seems to perform over and over again. And, you know, I'm sure you, you've you analyzed this. Um, how often do you repeat some of your best winning stuff? Uh, in, in particular, I repeat tweets and I repeat most of my tweets four times, eight hours apart, absolutely identical, absolutely identical. And I can tell you with total certainty that whenever I tweet something, roughly 1,500 people people click on the link the first time. 
The second time is 1500. The third time is 1500. The fourth time. Why do you think that is? Because people have different consumption habits for computing. Hmm. Not everybody is up at 8 a.m. And even of the people who are up at 8 a.m., some of them are getting their kids ready. They don't check the computer till 6 p.m. So I think part of it is, you know, just sheer arrogance that some people believe that their tweets are so freaking insightful that people will scroll back through millions of tweets 12 hours before to find their tweet. And I'm telling you, those people are on crack. That, you know, ESPN runs the same highlight over and over again. CNN runs the same story, not updates to the story, the same video. Fresh Air, you know, Her Highness, Terry Gross, world's greatest content creator. Fresh Air is on multiple times identically per day. Why is this? It's because people consume content at different times that's a good point and you've even got like uh tv shows that run 24 hours a day on the reruns right just yeah just to kind of allow binge people to get into the show or prepare it for the next season so what's the problem and and you know, many people believe that you shouldn't do this. We've we've actually done this on Facebook with great success as well. Uh-huh. For example, um, we have certain articles that we know people just love. Like, for example, ones on Google Analytics. And we might publish them 10 or 15 days apart. Uh-huh. But they they seem to get the same number of shares, the same number of clicks. Right. And, and, um, and it works. And it's because people aren't always on. And, and, you know, I think the social networks make it even harder now, especially Facebook. Yeah. So let's talk about um, – can I, can I tell you one more story? Then? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so I was once in Toronto, and I shot a picture of a matte black Audi R8, okay? And to, to emphasize its matte blackness, I posted it in black and white. And then lots of people, like hundreds of people, plus wondered and commented and all that. And many of them said, well, show it to, show it to us in color. So half an hour later, I showed the same picture – not in black and white. I showed it in color. Hundreds of plus ones, hundreds of comments. And then I was in Toronto and I was roaming. I was working at Motorola at the time. So when you work for Motorola, you have like international data roaming. You don't really care about roaming charges, right? But I couldn't quite figure out if the thing was getting posted or not. So I posted it again. And then I still couldn't see it in my timeline. So I posted it again. So I think over the course of about an hour and a half, I posted the exact same thing four times, okay? Not one complaint. Every time, just about the same number of plus ones, same number of comments, same number of reshares. And and that's the day I said, huh, you know what? Nobody can tell and nobody cares. It's a completely different audience every time. Now, there's obviously a limit, but I don't think we, I don't think most people come close to the limit. And my theory is that, you know, if some people complain, that's the price of doing business. You know, if, if I have to piss off a few people to get 4X the click throughs, I will do that all day long. That's just the way it is. But you know. okay, where do we find the good stuff, I guess? You know, I mean, like you said, you're curating other people's stuff, right? Yeah. So, so you're not just like randomly seeing something. You must have some systems oh, no. in place. So how do you know what's worth sharing, I guess, uh, in your case? Okay. Like what are the systems that you have in place to find okay. it? Okay. So number one, with full disclosure, 
I am the co-founder of a website called Alltop, A-L-L-T-O-P. And Alltop is organized by topics. And within each topic, we find the best RSS feeds for that topic. So if you went to socialmedia.alltop.com, you would find all the social media blogs, of which, of course, Social Media Examiner is right at there at the top, right? And what's cool and, is you have the headlines of the top articles of yes. the day for all those sites in one page. Right. So we have the, the first five headlines or the first five uh, stories. And if you mouse over the headline, you'll see if the story is worth clicking through. So we have over a thousand topics at all top. And so if you wanted to get information about food, because you, let's say you, let's say you own a restaurant and you have a social media presence and you want to use this as a marketing platform for your restaurant, but you now have heard this podcast and you believe in the NPR you know, model. So you want to earn the right to promote your restaurant. So how do you do that? Well, as a restaurant owner, you figure, well, if I would share interesting stories about food, it would position my social media and therefore my restaurant as an expert in food. People will follow me. People will reshare me. And then when I say, hey, you know, we have a special, you know, special weekend uh, ahi tuna celebration. Come to our restaurant. People will have been following and they'll say, huh, I've been getting all this great advice about food. I'll go to the restaurant. Okay. So now what do you post when you're being NPR as opposed to being QVC? So when you're being NPR, if you're a restaurant, let's say that uh, Real Simple runs an article about uh, how to peel lemons or uh, MarthaStewart.com has an article about how to remove the the husk from garlic. So now let's suppose that then National Geographic runs a story about, um, you know, the kind of coffee where the meerkats or civets or something, they eat the coffee bean and then they poop it out and that makes the world's best coffee. So let's say, you, you don't know that, but that's a true story. So let's say National Geographic runs that story. So now... If you're in, in charge of the restaurant social media, you post this great link to the National Geographic story about the cat pooping coffee that's the world's greatest coffee or, you know, Jamaica Blue Mountain coffee, you know, or how to clean your coffee grinder or, you know, or, 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 or. Just come up with these great food topics, post them out, and then you earn the right to have this followership that you can then, every once in a while, promote your restaurant to. Awesome. It's not that hard. Awesome. Now, what are some of the tools beyond all top that you're using to go from discovery of the content to sharing of the content? Because uh, I think I Buffer use, is probably one yeah, of them, right? Yeah. Uh, I use Buffer. Peggy likes um, Peggy likes Sprout. Sprout Social? Why, yeah, yeah. The reason why I don't use Sprout is because when you use the Chrome extension of Buffer, you can see the the picture that you may be manually attaching, uh, whereas Sprout doesn't show the picture. And I have such limited mental faculties these days that sometimes I'm afraid that I'm attaching the wrong picture to the post, and I won't know that till after I'm posted, and I don't want to be in any embarrassing position. So I need to see the picture I'm posting prior to posting with the Chrome extension. Um, now, let me ask you this. Do you, um, do you have... Or, or have you worked with others that have people that are out there actively discovering content and then, you know, you pick the ones that you like? Or No. Um, uh, I work in the opposite way. 
So what I do is I use Alltop. I use a custom page of Alltop where I've picked, you know, at Alltop you can create your own custom collection called My Alltop. So I have a custom collection there. I also I look at Google Plus What's Hot because Google Plus What's Hot frequently has very good stories I would have never found even in Alltop. Hmm. And so when I see these stories, I'm going to I'm going to really blow your mind now. Okay, so what happens is when I see these stories, Peggy and I run a Tumblr blog called Hasso, H-A-S-O. So we were inspired by Peter Shankman's Harrow, Help a Reporter Out. So Peter Shankman did Help a Reporter Out, where reporters ask for certain kind of leads, right? So we created Hasso, and the purpose of Hasso is that we are constantly looking for great stories to post. And the way I work is I often find these stories at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because I can't sleep. So I have an iPad or I have a Nexus 7 next to my bed. And I like, I'm on all top at 2 a.m. and I find this really great story that I want to post. But, I, you know, I'm not going to post when I'm sleeping and all that or sleepy. So I just, I take the story and I share it to this Tumblr blog called Hassle. And then later on, People look at what I've selected and they post for me. So, oh, I see what you're saying. So, so you have like a little place where you essentially post all the stuff that you find, and then right. someone else on your team is looking there and deciding which ones are the ones worth posting because you're putting out so much stuff. It sounds well, like they don't they don't really decide. They just say if guy wants this posted, it's posted. Oh, I see. So it's just kind of a yeah. so why do the Tumblr thing then? I guess is what I'm curious um, about. I, I did the Tumblr thing because one day I said to Peggy, you know, Peggy, we invest such energy to curate great stuff. Why don't we make what we're about to post public so that other people can subscribe to the Hassle MailChimp list or just go to the Hassle blog and see what we're about to post? So this is a this is a uh, kind of another way to use content, really, right? Yeah. Well, what we're trying to do is okay. So if you were a chicken shit person, your attitude would be, well, guy, you you know, you curated this small group of great stories. You should keep them secret because you know you want only you to unveil this special story that National Geographic came out about the poop coming out the coffee come the coffee yep. produced poop of the civet <laughs> or the meerkat or whatever eats that thing but i have a completely different attitude like i figure all right so let everybody subscribe to the mailchimp list for hassle or go to tumblr you know dot com slash hassle and let them see what we're about to post and let them post by themselves and you know hallelujah the more great content out there the better i suppose some people might say, well, I just read the same story of Guy on another blog, so, you know, Guy has less value, but I'm not too worried about that. I say, you know, like, let everybody have great content and, you know, piggyback well, off my curation. Absolutely. And we should probably mention that the person you're referring to, Peggy, is Peg Fitzgerald, I mean, Fitzpatrick, who it's is Patrick. the co-author of your book, which I don't think we've mentioned her name yet. So, speaking of your book, um, how did you leverage the community that you have when it came to uh, your book in particular? Oh, okay, so uh, I truly do believe in, well, to go back even deeper into my psyche, um, 
I am kind of OCD. I really am a perfectionist. And it just just bugs the hell out of me to think that I'm missing something in my book or my book is wrong or or you know I should have put this detail in and all that. And I I'm both OCD and I realize that I'm not capable of knowing everything, which is a powerful combination. So what Peg and I decided to do is we put the book out there and we, you know, post it on our social media. Anybody who wants to, you know, proof this book and read this book and critique this book, have at it. So we signed up dozens of people and dozens of people read the thing and dozens of people made suggestions, which we credit in the book. That's so, brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, and didn't even and, didn't you even ask for feedback on the title too? Oh yeah, we, we uh, you know in Google Plus now there's um, polling built in, but before you could there's a poor man's way of doing polling. So we tested both the name of the book. It was going to be the art and science of social media versus the art of social media. And then we had two different subtitles, which was you know power tips for power users. Or I can't even remember what the other subtitle was. So we put all of these up to a vote, and and basically by a very clear margin, the preferred title was "The Art of Social Media: Power Tips for Power Users." That is so cool. So um, a lot of people are probably scared to ask their audience for feedback. I mean, like you know. <laughs> well, well, well. First of all, um, I I am. I am not only OCD, I'm not only, you know, uh, op- open, I'm also not paranoid. And so I, if you gave me a choice of, quote unquote, giving away secrets or cannibalizing book sales or having a better book, I will pick having a better book all day long. And, you know, lots of publishers would never allow their authors to do something like this because theoretically, the word file could be anywhere now of this book, right? But, but my logic is that, well, you know, the people who stole the book that way weren't going to buy it anyway. So what did I really lose? Well, and, and in reality, if you think about what we've been talking about during this whole interview, the fact of the matter is that people are only, in, even though you have massive following, only a little fragment of them are in any one particular location at one particular time. So it's really yep. just a very tiny percentage of your audience that co-collaborated with you to make this book better. And, and, and in some regards, those people are now empowered to want to help promote the book because they had well, a little piece of it, right? <laughs> I wasn't even going to mention that, but yeah. So, so if you really want to get into the weeds, so one benefit of crowdsourcing feedback like this is the feedback itself. There's no question that with in the last four or five books that I've done this way, they have made it, I would say, 100% better. They've doubled the quality of most of my books. But then one of the most beautiful side effects of this is that we, of course, have a database of all these people, right? And so um, the way Amazon works is you cannot review a book until it's for sale. And I think the reasoning is how can someone review a book prior to it being for sale. Right. I mean, if you just think about it, you know, there it's like has to be a bullshit review, right? So um, what I did for a previous book is about four hours before it went for sale, I sent an email to all the people who had read it in advance and critiqued it. And I said, in four hours, Amazon is going to post 
you know, they're going to make it live. And it would be really a wonderful thing if you would go out and review the book because you have read it. That's you didn't awesome. buy it, but you have read it. And so, you know, I wake up the next morning and there are like 75 five-star reviews. That's awesome. So the first thing I had to do after that is <laughs> I had to contact my friend at Amazon. I say, listen, I want you to understand this is how this happened. This is not bullshit. This is not me with 75 different accounts. Right. This is really 75 people who read the book. So don't ter- don't take this stuff down. Um that's awesome. That, that is really cool. And, you know, I think it just goes to the power of social, right? Because, yeah. you know, these people you met on social, these people helped you in a social way. You didn't have to pay them. And they're part of something that you created. They're proud of it. And they want to give back to you in some way. And that's how they're doing it. And that's awesome. It's, it, it tr- it, awesome is the word for it. And, um, but, you know, it, it all starts because fundamentally – you have to trust in the goodness of people. And, you know, you can live life in either of two ways. You can always look for, you know, avoiding the times you might be screwed, or you can look at the big picture, which is to say 99.9% of the time, good stuff is going to happen. So, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well Guy, um, on behalf of many people that are listening right now, I just want to say thank you so much for your insights. And, would you tell everyone where they could go pick up a copy of your book, The Art of Social Media? Well, theoretically, and hopefully it'll be in every bookstore, in every airport, but certainly yeah, probably the, the path of least resistance is Amazon. So, And if people uh, want to find out more about you and what's going on in, in, in your world, where do you want to send them? Ah, that is a good question. Um, I'm in so many places in so many ways, but as we established at the top of the hour, I am consistent. So, uh, you know, Google+, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Is it just, uh, uh, is your user ID just, the same across just, all of them? Yeah, it's just, it's just Guy Kawasaki. Well, actually, Facebook, I, my, my ID is Guy. I mean, imagine that. I have a three-letter Facebook uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how much clout I had back then. Well, we'll link we'll link to all your different profiles yeah. in the but, show notes. You know, the irony is the worst place to find out about what I do is my blog and my website, you know, guykawasaki.com because it's evolved, you know, where that website is mostly brochureware and the real action is in social media for me. Awesome. Well, I encourage everyone to go check Guy out and all the different channels. And I have seen a copy of his book. And I will tell you that I think it is absolutely spectacular, full of literally hundreds of actionable tips that you can employ in your social media marketing. Guy Kawasaki, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure and it's my honor. And I'll see you at the conference. Awesome. And we'll just paint San Diego red. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Guy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, I hope some of the creative juices in your brain are boiling or percolating, if you will, and you've got some good ideas from this episode. If there's anything that we mentioned in the show that you missed, like that custom case, go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash 122. That stands for episode 122. And we take all the notes for you. You can also leave any comments or questions you have there and I will do my best to answer them. Also, please don't miss a future episode of this show by subscribing with whatever podcast player you are listening to. The show is absolutely free. Also, if you've not done so recently, I would love it if you give us what I call a verbal tweet. 
It's very easy. Just visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash love. And that will allow you from wherever you are, even if you're out and about, to send out a tweet that says you recommend this show. Helps us get the word out. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.